another edition of Sing Second Sports. Filling in for John Schofield, I'm producer Chris Cervello. Joining me is Ward Carroll and Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. Two really good sets of games uh, on Saturday and Sunday for both the men and the women. A lot to take away and a lot to break down. Uh, Wags, take us through what you saw, the high points, uh, and where did Navy fall short, both on the men and women's side? All right, well, let's start with the men. Uh, Saturday and Ward and I were together at Alumni Hall for a very entertaining game, and Navy really played well on both ends of the floor. And Cam Davis was in foul trouble. Daniel Deaver did not play due to contact tracing involving someone who was not affiliated with men's basketball. And then John Carter Jr. Uh, apparently hurt his ankle in pregame warmups, tried to go and couldn't do it. So Navy was really down three key players for the bulk of the game, and really it was the bench play. Uh, the reserve stepped up, guys like Patrick Dorsey, Jalen Walker, um, and then, of course, Greg Summers led the way. He scored 17 points. He kind of carried Navy on its on his back at times. Um, so before we go any further, Ward, why don't you interject with what you saw on Saturday since you were there live and in person? Because that was the star game, and really that's the one that means the most. At the end of the game, Navy was presented with the alumni trophy, which is what it's all about. Uh, Ward, thoughts? I think it all comes down to the level of talent across the roster that Navy has this year. As you mentioned, Cam got into foul trouble early on in the game, so he was sat down for a large percentage of the first half. But that didn't affect the team too much, and they were able to uh, you know, keep Army at bay. And, and that's, as you said – um, Greg Summers, Patrick Dorsey, Njoku, you know, all, all of them do their jobs and um, the chemistry between them is really, really effective and, and fun to watch. So for me, the game comes down to, as we've said since, you know, you and I have been working the games in recent weeks, just really impressed by Patrick Dorsey. He's just where he needs to be when he needs to be there. He's not flashy. He's really your journeyman kind of utility player. As you already said, Greg Summers put the team on his back for the second house, half particularly, and just, you know, made it happen. And in the first half, when the momentum was starting to shift, he had this strong move to the hoop, and then he was silky smooth when he got clear. Um, it, it was really a, a pro move, and and – it looked a lot like what Cam does when he gets free. And, and so those two guys plus Cam showed up when he needed to, and it was really a, an efficient win. Um, so that's, that was my high-level takeaways from, from Saturday. Yeah, your guy Dorsey showed up again Sunday. He had 13 points and seven rebounds. Unfortunately, he was one of the few – Navy players that showed up. Davis had another rough day, uh, four of nine shooting. Just, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, four of 19 shooting. Um, just did not have it from the field. Uh, Tyler Nelson and Summers also struggled shooting the ball uh, 
Sunday. Army came out and just kind of seized control right from the outset. I think they uh, scored seven straight points to open the game, got an early lead, and Navy played catch-up the entire way. Navy did not lead the game throughout regulation. What's remarkable is that Navy showed a lot of – and this is what we're seeing with this team – a lot of grit and determination to find a way to get Sunday's game into overtime. And uh, then Army kind of closed the door in the extra session, outscored Navy 16 to 7. A couple bad turnovers, throwing the ball away, couldn't make a basket. Uh, they outscored Navy by 20 points at the foul line. Um, so that was really the difference. Uh, just this, this was not one of Navy's better games. Uh, it breaks a nine-game winning streak for the Mids. That was their longest winning streak in a long time. Um, and so, and then the, real quick, Chris, you mentioned the women. We, we got to quickly talk about the women. On Saturday up at West Point, Jennifer Coleman just had a virtuoso performance, a double-double, also a bunch of steals and assists. She was just fantastic. And Navy women led by as much as 26 points in beating Army in the star game up there at Crystal Arena on the campus of West Point. But Army turned it around and beat Navy on Sunday in a kind of low-scoring, ugly game. Uh, Coleman had another double-double. So did Sophia Gatzunas, but the mids fell. So next week, uh, Navy will play Loyola. Navy men will play Loyola at home. Um, Wags, I mean, you guys talked a little bit about, you know, they they take away a big win on Saturday. They take away uh, – a gritty performance at the end of regulation. It's a tough loss in, in overtime, but but not a loss in the traditional sense. What does uh, Coach Tuchelis and the team need to work on this week at practice as they get ready to play two games against Loyola? I don't think there's anything broken, Chris. I mean, it, you, they were on a nine-game winning streak. Yeah. It's bound to come to an end. And, you know, beating Army twice in one weekend was a, 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 a tough ask. Just get back to the drawing board. Uh, but there's nothing wrong. Again, you know, losing in overtime to your arch rival, there's no shame in that. And, uh, you know, Loyola, one thing that we should point out is important is that we have to remember that winning your South Division games is important because um, those are the ones that are going to determine who goes to the Patriot League tournament. So Navy's beaten Bucknell twice, Lehigh twice, Army once. And those games are not nearly as important as those against American and Loyola. So Navy's got two in the bag against American. These Loyola games are important. You've got to be winning your little divisional games. So this weekend's big, Chris. These back-to-back games make me a little nervous, I I have to say. I mean, you you know, with uh, the competition as tight as it is in the Patriot League, no matter how well you play on Saturday, that team then ha- the the other team has the benefit of you know coming right back the next day and, and putting in place anything that they learned against you uh, the the day before. Um, not to mention just the fatigue factor that that you'll see from that from the winning team. So I, these, I mean, I know why we're doing them, but as a fan, they really make me nervous um, because I agree they they do mean so much. Um, before we close this out, let's go back to the women. You know, we knew that this was going to be a, uh, a work in progress for, uh, for Coach Taylor and the women. You know, my read in watching them via Twitter or watching them uh, on the Internet is this team does continue to get better. They, they continue to become Coach Taylor's team. 
How are you feeling about the women at this point in the season? Well, you're exactly right, Chris. They, they have been shorthanded the entire season um, due to COVID issues. Remember, they were off for two weeks because of uh, COVID issues within the program. Um, other injuries, various things. They, he, he at one point barely had enough people to practice. Um, they're finally full strength. Uh, they finally are getting their group together to, to, to have a full team practice and develop some chemistry and we're starting to see things. I mean, Colby Green did not even play until the first Patriot League game against American. So that was her first appearance all season. She's one of Navy's best players. And, you know, she's been instrumental in some of the – in the victory over American last weekend and the victory over Army on Saturday. So Jennifer Coleman, Colby Green, Sophie Gatsunas, that's kind of your uh, – your go-to players on the, in the, and then there's some nice freshman players that are kind of fill in. So uh, I think you're definitely going to see uh, Navy women's basketball improve as the season goes along. And uh, coach Tim Taylor's doing a good job. Ward. No, I think you're right. You just nailed it um, on, on glide plat path. Um, I, I think uh, the, the coach Tim Taylor's plan is, uh, is coming together. So uh, I, let's keep our eyes, eyes on the, on the prize here. All right, guys, um, that's, a, that's a great opening segment. Uh, let, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We'll go to break. And when we come back, we will have Jesse Awuji, Navy alumni and current stock car driver. Uh, we got a chance to spend about 20 minutes with him. He'll be this week's alumni segment. And then uh, we'll have two other interviews after that. You're listening to Sing Second Sports. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest, Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us during the break. We are very happy to be joined by United States Naval Academy graduate, and professional stock car racing driver, Jesse Awuji. Jesse is a former football player for the Naval Academy Midshipmen, graduating in 2010. Upon graduation, was a surface warfare officer. Yup, so much better than being a backseater in an airplane, Ward Carroll. Um, but now uh, very well known for his role in uh, NASCAR um, and the professional uh, circuit there. Jesse, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. And thank you so much for having me on the show. So, hey, I'll kick it off. Tell us a little bit for those who probably know you more for, for your role now in, in NASCAR than they did when you were at the Naval Academy. Walk us through what your athletic um, career was like for the, for the football team and how did the lessons you learned on the football field really help you both as a reservist and, um, you know, in your new career in, uh, in car racing? Yeah, so um, that journey going from, you know, playing football at the Naval Academy to, you know, now racing, um, it's definitely been an interesting journey. Uh, that's for sure. It's something that hasn't been done before. Um, usually, you know, it's a, it's a go race professionally, no matter what motorsport it is, NASCAR, Formula One, you name it. Most people start racing when they're like five, six years old in go-karts, and then they continue to work their way up that ladder. Um, a lot of them come from, you know, very wealthy families because it costs a lot of money to race. 
Um, I didn't come from all that. I went to Naval Academy at first, um, you know, played football there all four years and, and had a really good time doing that. But some of the lessons that uh, I learned and some of the things that I, I, I was taught and, and, and all the different skills and concepts, everything I learned at Naval Academy, I've been able to really apply towards, you know, my active duty time uh, when I was, you know, a service worker officer on the two ships that I served on to you know, my reserve time. And then now, you know, uh, racing a NASCAR while still being in the reserves physical side of it, that fitness side has been something that I've had to keep with me this whole time to, to, to be successful. Because, you know, when you race in NASCAR, you know, uh, contrary to popular belief, uh, it's very physical, <laughs> very, very physical. Um, I've never cramped ever in my life playing football. Um, never cramped, not once. No matter how hot it was, no matter how humid it was, no matter how hard we ran, never cramped. I have, I have cramped in a race car um, due to the heat stress. When you're in a race car for, you know, two, three hours or so, and it's 120 to 150 degrees inside there with a full-on race suit, and your body is experiencing a ton of G-forces um, just for hours and hours on end. It can really put a lot of stress on your body. But um, how I, I've learned how to deal with heat stress because of football, um, I've learned how to deal with just you know the mental part of it because racing is a very is very mental. I mean, you got to have the focus to be able to hit your line, hit your marks every single lap. Just like in football, um, when you get tired, you gotta you gotta have that mental side um, prepared for that fight. Because when your body starts wanting to go down and your mind wants to shut off, you gotta keep it going in the right direction, or else you make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, you give up touchdowns, or you throw interceptions, or you get sacked, or or whatever. So um, all the physical side of football um, and track, when I ran track, all that all that has really helped me a lot in everything I'm doing right now in NASCAR. So before I kick it over to Ward, I'll just ask, what's worse, you know, the wearing the suit, you know, for hours at a time, you know, extreme temperatures like that, or being in full FFE, the repair five locker <laughs> officer, it's summer in the Northern Arabian <laughs> Gulf. What, what's, what's hotter and more uncomfortable? I, I would think the uh, Northern Arabian Gulf. <laughs> I think that would be a little bit more harder, even though, uh, thankfully, I never had to put on that full gear and, and go down oh. to the repair locker. I was very fortunate throughout my uh, four years of sea time, um, never had to don any of that gear ever. Oh, that, you <laughs> cannot spread that around, man. Oh, I am going to snatch that smoking right from you. <laughs> I mean, when I, I, I went to the little DC school, I did the DC school and we had to put that stuff on there. But as far as on a ship having to do it, never had to do it. I was either on watch as officer of the deck whenever we did these drills or wherever else I was. But oh, uh, I was very man. fortunate, very fortunate. Oh. <laughs> Ward, take it away. I'm too disgusted. <laughs> so Jesse and I go way back to when I was working for a military entertainment brand in Hollywood and he was still on active duty and uh, I profiled him back then and what was really eye-opening for me is is just because you watch NASCAR on Fox Sports or whatever and it seems so like glamorous and clean and and before you get to that level it's it's kind of less so yeah you know and so Jesse, you go through some of the early days in terms of you you know on your own time on the weekend going to Pomona or whatever or the other racetracks that were there and paying for your own entry fees and trying to just claw your way to the higher levels because I think we all think that everybody's Dale Jr. and that's it <laughs> and obviously that's not the case and and I'm very proud of how far you've come um, and, and what you're able to do, 
uh, as a grad and also what you've been able to do as an African-American naval officer in, in these times has been amazing ambassador type work on that front as well. Um, so I'm just introducing a whole bunch of variables here, but let's just talk about the first part, which is how does one try to become a big time NASCAR driver? Yeah, it's, it's definitely not easy at all. And yeah, there's a lot of grind with it. So, um, you know, for those who don't know out there, you know, a lot of people think for NASCAR, yeah, you just, you hop, when you hop on the scene, all of a sudden you're at the cup series level, you're racing national TV every weekend, getting paid millions of dollars and thousands and thousands of fans are watching you and, and you're just famous now. That's not how it works. That, it just doesn't happen like that. There's a, there's a ladder, a ladder system that you have to climb, um, to even get to that level. And as you're climbing along that le- uh, ladder, um, it costs money. So you don't just, it's not just a team out there. Like let's say each level in each series, there's just not teams who just sit there and just like, okay, we're just going to recruit a driver, put them in our race car. They're going to go race. They're going to do well. And all is going to be well. As much as that used to be what it was a long time ago when racing was a little bit more cheap. Um, it's not like that today. Uh, it, it costs money to race, uh, uh, tires, fuel, people, transportation, R and D, the race cars themselves. All this stuff costs money, and and at the end of the day, these uh, team owners they don't have um, they don't own like a football stadium to make that money back. They don't own like the NBA arena to 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 make that money back. They don't have any of that stuff to make that money back. So the only way for them to actually bring in revenue so that they can actually get to a track and race and put on a good product is by getting sponsorship, um, or, or the team owner is the owner of McDonald's or something, and and that's and they just you know siphon off money like that to pay for it. But besides that, it costs money. So for me, getting into NASCAR at first, I quickly realized that, hey, it's expensive. And as I work my way up, it's going to get more and more expensive. So I got to figure out a way to partner with different brands, um, have these brands um, you know, be my sponsors in NASCAR and, and, and me, use, me utilizing my platform, my story and everything I've been doing so that I can uh, elevate their marketing initiatives or whatever they're trying to get out there. So um, I learned that pretty quick, but then also I learned too that a lot of people don't want to support my uh, dream at first when I'm first getting into it because I'm so new to it. So I was like, hey, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm not going to let the lack of sponsorship in my first year, 2015, um, be what stops me and stops my track. So I was like, you know what? Um, Let's use some deductive reasoning. I need money so I can pay for all this stuff to get in and start racing. Okay, where do I find that money? Okay, the sponsors aren't giving it. So where else can I find it? Oh, maybe I can use some money that I'm just making as a lieutenant in the Navy. Well, as a lieutenant in the Navy, I'm only making X amount. I have this amount of bills. Okay, that's not going to be enough. What else can I do? Oh, I can start a business on the side. So I, I took the entrepreneurial route, started my own small business on the side and used that money to help basically um, uh, get myself in. And uh, the business that I started was I was hosting drag racing events. At, at local tracks in Southern California and any profit I made from that, I utilized to actually pay for my racing expenses so that I could start racing lower level stuff in NASCAR, which is late model, late model stock cars. And then from there, um, in 2015, moved up to the next year to the NASCAR K&N series, which is like a regional series level of NASCAR. They race on TV. Um, and then from there, kept moving my way up to the ARCA series and then the NASCAR truck series. And then now, I'm in the NASCAR Xfinity series, which is the second highest level of NASCAR. I'm one step away from the top level, but um, it's, it was a grind to continue to make this happen uh, using a lot of business money uh, that I was making to, to, to keep it rolling. Eventually, I was linked up with my agent, uh, Matt Casto, who's been really great over the last three years. 
He's been able to help me partner up with different brands so that we can bring more sponsorship in. And um, that's been really great for the last few years. And that's what's allowed me to race. But still, it's still a grind. Um, you know, right now, even I'm, I'm still not racing full seasons right now. I'm kind of racing part seasons because, you know, it caught like at this level I'm at now. I mean, just to run with the lowest budget team for a full year. I mean, that's still probably about $2 million at the bare minimum. Um, to race with the higher budget teams, you're looking at six to seven million dollars for a full season at this level. Um, so it's just it costs a lot of money. But um, the reason why companies jump in to even sponsor and help, uh, even if it's just partial of it, you know, they, a, a company doesn't have to jump in to pay for the whole thing. But if they just want to do a, a partial amount, um, the reason why it costs a lot of money just because you know you're going to 33 races and you're you're all over the place. But companies do it because they they see a lot of marketing benefit from it. They see a way to have business to business relationships. Because there's not a lot of other places you can go and you can be in the same space of all these Fortune 500 companies where you can network with them and you can see some of their higher ups and their execs there. So um, a lot of great reasons to sponsor, um, you know, just uh, it, companies just have to learn about how the process works and, and, and the benefits they get from it. Well, I just want to point out to the listeners that, you know, what you just heard in, in Jesse's explanation is not just a naval officer who's leveraging the physical mission and a talented athlete, but an entrepreneur. And so I know, Jesse, you and I run in the mill vet space where a lot of people call themselves an influencer or an entrepreneur. Um, and I'm here to tell the audience that Jesse actually is both of those things. Um, and, and so that's, that's hard, hard fought and that's rare. And the way you just described how you funded the earliest part of your driver uh, way forward is, is just amazing stuff. And that's the difference. That's the difference between somebody who makes it beyond raw talent, but who makes it and, and just wanders off and becomes a sales rep at some company or whatever. So, you know, good on you for that. Wags, over to you. So I've written several articles about Jesse and his uh, budding career. And I guess, why don't you kind of tell the listeners, what do you consider some of your key successes as a driver? I mean, what's kind of at the top of the resume and, you know, furthering along Ward's question you know, you'd said you're one step away from the top circuit of NASCAR. What what has to happen in order to take that last step? Yeah. So um, for me, uh, key successes for me, um, you know, on, on track for, for, for me, you have to understand, like when you're racing and, and really any motorsport, um, you know, as you're looking through the whole field of, of drivers, right, um, you know, like they say, money buys speed, right? So uh, there's the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> there's the ones who have a lot of it, the ones who don't have a lot of it. Um, you know, a lot of teams that I've raced for over the last few years, uh, they just haven't necessarily had a big budget at all. So you got to understand where you're at. So you have to understand, hey, this is our budget range. This is what we do have to work with to race. Well, let's we, we're competing against the people who are all in that same budget range. You can't be at a... Uh, <laughs> you can't be at a... $50,000 a race budget and think that you're going to beat the guys that are at the $200,000 per race budget. Um, not that it can't happen. It can happen sometimes. It just doesn't, it's not going to be consistent. Um, so, so for us, I'm always competing against, you know, the folks that are within our budget. So for me, success is when we can outrun all the people within our budget range and maybe even outrun some people who are spending even more. Um, that's success for me. So uh, we've done that sometimes. Um, I've had some good races and I've had some bad races. You know, I've had some uh, very clean races and I've had some wrecks, you know? So for me, it's just all, it's all a learning experience. Um, for me, success is being able to get to the track, 
run a full race, finish the race, learn from it, and make it to the next. And eventually, as you continue to pile that up, you're going to get better and better and better. And eventually, you'll be in a position where you'll be really, really competitive. But it takes time, especially for someone like me who did not come from the racing world. Um, now, as far as, uh, um, you know, outs- I would say uh, outside of that, like with everything I've been else with everything else I've been doing, um, you know, being able to have this platform and utilize it for good, that's probably been the most important thing for me. Um, we've been able to do a lot of great stuff, um, like basically uh, helping kids, helping uh, uh, vets out there, whether they're, you know, wounded vets, disabled vets, um, or vet- vets who are just looking for help. Being able to use this platform to do good for them um, has been really, really um, inspiring. And, uh, you know, even on the kids space, uh, you know, just a few years ago, it really is about two years after I started racing, uh, actually one year after I started racing, um, you know, I ran into a situation where I ran into a kid who was four years old at the time and diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he had um, a bucket list of things he wanted to do um, before the doctor said that, you know, he wasn't going to be here anymore. And uh, one of those things was to get a ride in the race car. And uh, I was able at that time to, we had an old race car with our team and we converted it to a two-seater race car and we were able to give him a ride around a track. But um, it was such a cool experience to be able to do that for him because at that time, like I said, you know, racing is expensive and I I only had so much money to use for each race. I actually had to take money from my tire bill for my first race that season to use to fly him and his family to um, where our race team was to even do this. But um, the kid made it to his, he made it to his fifth birthday that year. Um, the very next year, he made it to his sixth birthday. And then uh, just before his seventh birthday, he passed away about a week before or two, a few weeks before. But, um, you know, for him to even make it that far after the doctors told him when he was four that he only had two months remaining um, was huge. But I think it's because of, uh, you know, people like us and all the other folks who pitched in to do good for him and utilizing their platforms to to do well and 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 show him these good times and put that energy and that life back into him i think that's why he made it but those types of uh things are what i truly call success you can go out there and win championships win a whole bunch of races do well on the track you can do that all day but at the end of the day none of that stuff matters what truly truly matters is how you can take the platform utilize it for good to inspire others motivate others and um and hopefully create a better future for all. And, and that's kind of my main focus. That's what I've been doing. And that's what this journey is about. Um, I could care less if I go win 30 championships or win a whole bunch of races. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's nice and all, but it, who cares? Like two years later, somebody else is going to go win and everyone's going to forget me. But what I want to be remembered for is how I help change lives, uh, inspire them. And that's what I do every day. I try to motivate people, inspire people. Um, people send me messages every single day on how to do this, how to do that. And I answer them. Um, and, uh, not one of those athletes who don't answer the DMS. I answer all of them. <laughs> so, uh, anything I can do to help others and use this, utilize this platform for good. That's what I do. Um, and that's what makes this journey fun. And, and, and that's why God rewards. So I invite the audience to, uh, watch some of the mini documentaries of Jesse doing things like what he just mentioned. Um, that, you know, I've seen some where you pull up to an elementary school in the in the pickup and they all swarm out of the school and that sort of thing. And it really is, um, you know, important work uh, in troubled times. Um, so the other thing that I mentioned in passing when I teed up that big, long question was um, the fact that you're a black American in a sport that isn't known for having black Americans. 
Um, and there was a well-publicized uh, situation last summer with a black driver. Um, and, and so what, what, have, what have you been able to do in terms of pushing through barriers and uh, you know, so forth on, on that front? Yeah. So, um, you know, being uh, African-American in a predominantly white sport, uh, it's definitely different for sure. But, um, you know, a lot of people have been uh, really uh, good to me um, within the sport. I've gotten a lot of help um, from a lot of people, not just because I'm black. In fact, that's like the last thing I ever mentioned anywhere because it's pretty obvious. Um, my my main push, uh, my main uh, what I call my brand is the military aspect of me, because in the military, we're, we're all different colors. We're all different races. We're all different genders. Um, but we all come together as one. And that's been my whole message this entire time, especially last year uh, with everything going on. Even this year, I mean, it's still, still stuff is still lingering from last year to this year. But um, with everything that started to really brew up last year and all the tensions rising, um, my main message wasn't a message of <clears throat> division. It wasn't uh, uh, us, us first them. It, it wasn't any of that. What my message was the entire time was united will rise, divided will fall. So we have to come together um, as a country, no matter what background you come from, no matter what race, no matter what gender, what, no matter what your sexuality is, it doesn't matter. We all must come together. And um, that, you know, that's what I kept on pushing throughout the whole year, just to help unite this country during a time when unity was not being talked about and there was just too much division. Um, yeah, that's not how we're going to be the America we were always meant to be. Hey, Jesse, I wanted to just real quick harken back to your days with Navy football. Um, you played on a, during a very successful era under Paul Johnson. I think Ricky Dobbs was the quarterback for most of your time there. Uh, never lost to Army, played in bowl games every year. Uh, a, any particular memories of your Navy football days? And B, are you still in touch with the likes of Ricky Dobbs or any other former teammates? Uh, you still stay close with all those guys? Yeah, uh, it was a great time for Navy football during that time. We won a lot of games, went to a lot of bowl games. Uh, my senior year, we beat uh, Missouri at the Texas Bowl. So had a good time doing all that. Beat Notre Dame twice, uh, played against Ohio State, almost beat them uh, when they were the number six team in the country. But yeah, I stay in touch with, uh, you know, a lot of the players still. We have some, uh, some, we have some Facebook groups that we're all in. Uh, we have some, uh, uh, we, you know, we have some other things that we kind of all just talk to each other on like through email and all that stuff. So <clears throat> yeah, we all stay in touch. We all still talk to each other. Um, I wouldn't say I'm talking to everybody every day, but, um, you know, we all still stay, stay in touch. In fact, I, just the other day I was, I sent Wyatt Middleton something on Instagram. It was a funny little video. I think the, the Oklahoma football team, uh, they, after they won their big 12 championship or whatever it was. Uh, they did a reenactment of the freestyle rap that um, Malcolm, Malcolm, I can't remember what his last name, Malcolm, whatever it is, um, had did uh, years and years ago. So it was, I thought it was funny. I was like, oh, Navy football should do a reenactment of my freestyle rap I did after our Texas Bowl win. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we stay in touch. Uh, there's still a the camaraderie there at the end of the day. Um, we're all part of the Navy football brotherhood. So no matter you know where you are, what you're doing now in life, we all still stay in touch somehow, some way. And no matter what, even if you hadn't talked to somebody in five, 10 years, um, you know, we're, it's, if we see each other, it's like, you know, we haven't missed a beat. So Jesse, one last question from me before I kick it to uh, our producer, Chris Cervello for uh, the final, uh, the final question and to take us out. 
you know, as a defensive back in those Notre Dame games, you mentioned, you know, you're, you're in that rare class of, of teams that beat Notre Dame twice in your career there. The only thing I have to ask you is like, what kind of crackback block took place or were you getting triple team that allowed Ram Vila to, to go <laughs> along the outside and basically launch himself into that iconic Jordan like poster photo of him hitting the quarterback like that should have been you right like <laughs> wait, wait, you got quadruple team somewhere what happened yeah I, I don't think I, was, I wasn't in on that play but I remember a funny thing is I, when that happened I don't even think I saw it I wasn't even turned towards the field when that, that happened I just looked back I'm like something crazy just happened you know but we're we're I think I was four down and we got the ball now <laughs> so uh, that, that was, was pretty crazy play. it was a huge play and uh, me and Ram are good friends we stay in touch I, I would say um, of all the players, uh, I, I, me, Ram, and Curtis Bass, we probably talked the us three talked the most um, out of anybody else I've talked to. Um, well, but, uh, let let Ram know I've hit him up on LinkedIn to come on the pod. <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't responded. He's way too successful of a business guy now. <laughs> but if you're talking to him, tell him tell him to return our message. We want to get him on here. Uh, I'll send him a text. I'll let him know. But uh, yeah, no that that play was uh, it was great. But um, uh, and speaking of crack black crack back blocks uh probably the worst one i ever felt was against air force my sophomore year at the academy um I, all i remember is going one way and the next you know i was laying on my side and i was like <laughs> what just happened then i get up to keep running again and and it was like you know how you you, you twist around and you're spinning around in circles yeah. and you try to run and you don't you like kind of go like that's what was happening <laughs> to me oh like, oh my god what just <laughs> uh, never never saw it never saw the person who did it all i remember was just a ping and i'm on the ground i'm like whoa <laughs> that's usually what chris cervello and i are like when we're leaving orioles games uh that's that's just the yeah. segue to him uh, asking the next question chris go ahead so i've got i've got a couple i'll be very quick but uh what, what's worse uh you know that crackback block that you just described or hitting the wall at you know mm -hmm. 150 160 miles an hour um, the crack bike block. <laughs> the wall. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't got hurt from like hitting the wall or anything like that. The cars are pretty safe for the most part. It just depends what angle you hit. Um, uh, but uh, the crack black because you feel that right? you literally feel that like you are you are getting ear hold somebody's face mask oh. into your. Because this is back during a time where there wasn't that helmet to helmet rule, so um, oh. people were all allowed to do whatever they wanted to do. And um, yeah, I, I haven't been uh, cracked back a lot in my life, maybe once or twice. But um, that one time, particularly at Air Force, I remember that one for sure because that was weird. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm lucky enough. I live about 33 miles away from uh, Daytona Motor Speedway. Uh, and we're about uh, a month away from uh, Daytona and things getting kicked off for, uh, for the 2021 season. Tell us a little bit about what 2021 holds in store for you and uh, the, the race team and the, in the schedule. 2021 um, still being worked on right now. Uh, right now we're trying to put together all the different brand sponsorships, partnerships, all that stuff. So um, we're actively, we have like a lot of things on the table and we're just trying to like juggle it all, put it together to see what's going to work and be best um, for all parties so that we can race as many races as we can uh, this year. So uh, the goal for me is to run Xfinity Series again. Um, I might run some truck series also too, maybe a lot of it. Who knows? Um, but uh, the goal is to kind of run all that stuff and really just prepare myself for the next level. That's that's the thing for this year. Run as many races as possible to prepare myself for the next level so that um, I, I, I know what I'm doing when I eventually jump into a cup car. 
So that's the thing. Train, 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 learn, 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 um, gain experience, um, get better, um, be more consistent, all those different things I want to learn on the track. Um, and all it takes is just seat time. You got to get on, get on the track, run and finish races. So that's my big thing this year is go run out, go out there, run clean and um, learn and get better. Well, last question before I pass it back to John. Uh, what if um, if any of our listeners w- want to help out, want to sponsor, want to be a part of that that effort? Um, that's the benefit of this uh, this network of Naval Academy grads. Um, you know, is there a website? Is there a wh- where can they go to be part of uh, you know Team Jesse uh, moving forward? Yeah, um, luckily I'm super easily reachable. <laughs> so um, if they're on any social media platform, whether that's uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. Um, you can look up my name on there. It's Jesse Iwuji, J-E-S-S-E, uh, last name I-W-U-J-I. Um, look me up and send me a message. Um, or if you'd like, you can go to my website, uh, Um, If for some reason you can't remember how to spell my name, uh, just go on Google and type in Navy NASCAR driver. I should be the only one that pops up for about three or four pages. So uh, do that and you should be able to find me, but reach out um, very easily, easily reachable. Um, we got a lot of different ways where people can help out. Um, once again, you know, we have different sponsors who are associate sponsors. Some are primary, you know, some only come in for, you know, it, we, we have different ways to work with everybody. At the end of the day, if somebody wants to help, we will figure out a way to allow you to help and be part of the journey and um, have it be a mutually beneficial relationship. Hey, John, I, I'm envisioning ProVision Advisors on the hood of Jesse's car. Uh, so, we, Jesse, we have a little bit more work to do in our life. Uh, you have a little bit more work. But I would, when you make it to the Cup Series, we want our name on your, uh, on your hood. Seriously, hey, we, we, we might be able to make something happen. <laughs> racing, racing at Daytona, final laps, going it. for the win. I love it. <laughs> Oh boy, it's like Days of Thunder with the old Hardy's sponsorship on uh, yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the one car. Um, that's funny. Well, hey Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. We wish you luck as the season kicks off. Um, I, I know that all of us are pulling for you, and hopefully, all the listeners. Um, you know, you've you've gained many more fans because you deserve them. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was Jesse Awuji. Again, Google NASCAR Navy driver um, and follow Jesse on his social media platforms. And I echo what Ward said, Jesse is truly an influential uh, voice and personality out there. So, um, you know, please uh, be a part of his narrative and his conversation, um, you know, where, where he is advocating for all the right causes. Uh, we're going to go to break. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Thanks for sticking with us on Sing Second Sports. We are very happy to be joined in this segment by women's lacrosse captain, Caroline Kwan. Um, Caroline attended Glen Elg High School. Um, and in this past season, the only six games um, that were in this past season, she had three starts uh, before the season was ended. Played against Villanova, Maryland, and Florida 
uh, picked up four ground balls on the season before, again, it was halted prematurely. Um, and also very involved in um, the Giving Tree uh, operation at the U.S. Naval Academy. So thank you very much to uh, Caroline for you uh, to be joining us today. I really appreciate uh, you making time for us. So first off, what's it like being back? How are the holidays? You know, what, what's going on with you in the hall? It's really nice being back, especially because we had a little extra time for winter break on the front and back end because usually we leave a little later after Army Navy and come back earlier. So the extra time was definitely nice and much needed. But I think, um, at least for myself, and I know for a lot of my friends, we're, we're ready to be back and um, maybe not so much for school, but definitely for lacrosse and, you know, to kind of culminate our senior year. So it's exciting. Nice. Um, I mentioned the Giving Tree um, initiative and, and when I was there as the PAO, uh, Miriam Stanichich and I would, would be very involved in the Giving Tree event every year, which I think is a wonderful thing and the Naval Academy does for Greater Annapolis. Can you just kind of walk us through what your involvement was in that and how many gifts went out to families in need from the Giving Tree initiative? Yes. So I'm in six companies. So the Giving Tree event is always headed by six companies. So usually a senior um, in the company heads the whole event. So uh, at the end of last year, I kind of volunteered to take the reins for the 2020 season, just because, you know, with lacrosse, I never was able to get my hands really deep on a lot of different extracurricular activities, just because it's a very demanding time commitment. Um, and I knew that was something I wanted to do before I graduated. And this is just like a, such a special cause and it, even more interesting because it's really rooted in the sixth company history. So we were able to get uh, just under 500 gifts out to the local kids in Annapolis. And it was really cool, you know, even though it was different this year, I think it almost made it more special that we were able to jump through these different hoops and kind of avoid these different obstacles to still be able to help these kids and work with the Salvation Army. Yeah, I, I love that attitude. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so what's your service selection, Caroline? Um, I'm going medical corps. Oh, okay. So just explain for the listeners who might not be familiar with that particular track. Um, so you go to medical school right after graduation and, and how long is that? And then, then what happens? Yes. So I will go to a medical school right after graduation and then do like the normal medical school route. So that's four years. And then depending on a lot of other factors. I'll go into a residency, which is a couple more years. And then, um, so this is all like the education and training, and then I'll go where the Navy needs me eventually. Yeah. That's, that's nutty to think about at least six years of very intense, uh, learning right on the back end of your undergraduate experience. So you have more desire than I did at your age. <laughs> yeah, but Lord knows more... we need doctors these days, <laughs> right? Um, so you're becoming a doctor at a time when not, you know, not just the Navy needs great doctors, but the nation is going to need great doctors. So uh, good on you for pursuing that. Also, mm-hmm. I will also say that you, you're a lot smarter than I was <laughs> at your age to be eligible to be considered for this program. Uh, you know, it's quite an elite group that even gets to get, never mind you getting accepted to medical school with being even in the zone for that is, is impressive. You mentioned, you know, reform and how in some ways it's good to be back 
Obviously, these are the dark ages. I remember very viscerally the dark ages. <laughs> How are you feeling about your ability to keep your spirits up uh, this semester, at least early on? I think just looking, not focusing on you know the things to come in the later spring, whether it be graduation or like more of our uh, games. But I think just like having some of those as an end goal, just for the the times that get tough. Um, but I know we have some out-of-conference games just in the beginning of February. So those are some short-term goals that we can all, at least me and my teammates, you know, we can fixate on and work towards. But I think it's just nice being back with everyone. And even though it's not the most ideal circumstances, it's nice that we're all at least in it together and we can collectively understand and, and help each other out. So let's pivot to the season. It's game on for the Patriot League, which is great. Um, we've had coach on the show as one of our earliest episodes. Um, and, and so, um, not to steal Wags's thunder, who I see is now with us. Um, but how you look and give us a little, put on your, your sort of prognosticator hat and, uh, key players, team chemistry. What, what are you thinking? I'm really excited for this year. Cause obviously, you know, we lost a lot of heavy hitters last year, you know, all our seniors were just such strong players and really impacted whatever positions they were in. So that was a, a big loss at first, but I think it, it was good in the end because it gave a lot of people that were definitely ready to step up um, the opportunity to step up. And now throughout the fall, since we didn't have any of our normal scrimmages, you know, we were just practicing day in and day out and able to build a lot of that chemistry. And now I would say we have more depth than we, ever have in the past. And uh, I think it's really exciting. I know a lot, everyone's ready to just work hard and tackle this season. And I think, I think we'll have one of our best ones yet. I always love those mid to early February lacrosse games when like the ball hits you and it basically feels like you've been shot with a bullet. <laughs> um, yeah. The, there's nothing like a lacrosse ball hitting you in the cold weather. So Wags, before we uh, let Caroline go, did you have anything? Yeah, I was going to ask a couple questions. Caroline, uh, Love it. kind of dovetailing off of Ward's question, looking ahead at this season, um, Navy women's lacrosse has always had a go-to scorer, dating you know, Jessica DePompio and then the Collins twins and Kelly Larkin. Uh, who do you see kind of moving into that role this season? Uh, I would have guessed Reagan Roloffs is kind of the most identifiable offensive player returning, but maybe uh, do you see someone else that could be uh, stepping up in that role? Yeah, I think something that'll be extra special this year is um, our attack especially is really strong and really deep. So, um, you know, Nicole Victory and Ellie Lecker, I think they're definitely going to be huge, huge players for our attack. But even if they get, you know, face guarded or cut off for whatever reason, because they're such big targets, we have a lot of others that will easily step up and can uh, can score just as easily. Is there a player that maybe Navy women's lacrosse fans have not heard of to date that might be a breakout player that kind of uh, emerges this season? You, you see somebody that's going to maybe be a surprise uh, break up, burst on the scene type player? Um, I think... Christine Fiore, she's a junior. Um, she got in a couple games last year, but she's definitely been putting in the work and she had a huge fall. So I think she'll be a big player for us. And um, I think one of our freshmen, Isabel Thornburg, I think she'll have a good season. So 
but I'm excited. There are a lot of people that got um, like little opportunities here and there that I think will make a big impact. And last for me, there's a new Patriot League schedule format. Uh, You're not going to be playing every team in the Patriot League. You're in a South pod, if you will. I believe it's Lehigh, Lafayette, Loyola, and American. So you're going to play a a majority of your games against the same teams, and you won't. And, of course, Navy's playing Army. uh, But can you just talk about that? It's a different format than what you all are accustomed to. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting just because getting the full spread of teams in our conference is good. You know, it's just different. Uh, different players, different playing types. And, you know, it allows us to kind of poke holes at our play against different teams. So it'll be a little different having that narrow scope. Um, And especially with Loyola in our section, you know, they're always one of our toughest competitors. So playing them a couple of times will definitely uh, be interesting. But I think think it'll be good as long as we can play some games um, and make the most of the situation. I think everyone will be ready and happy to do that. Well, Caroline, I think you speak for everybody. Um, as long as we get to play some games, um, you know, the, the presence of sports certainly can help us stay sane during the pandemic. And, and I know that it's a great passion of yours. Um, so we certainly hope that you get a full season in and that everyone stays, uh, stays healthy um, as we go into the dark ages of the spring semester. So, Caroline, thank you so much for joining Six Second Sports today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. All right, everyone. That was Caroline Kwan, the captain of the women's lacrosse team. We certainly wish her good luck and we congratulate her on just running a fantastic program uh, for local Annapolis families in need, the Giving Tree program. If you're at all interested uh, in the Giving Tree going forward, it's a long time between now and November and December when we really start planning for it. But please get involved. Please contact the Midshipman Action Group um, at the Naval Academy and Sixth Company. Um, if you want to find out more about how you can participate and give to the Giving Tree uh, initiative. When we come back, we'll have another interview and then take it out. This is Sing Second Sports. Stick around. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at we sing second. That's at we sing second. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Uh, really happy to be joined by Naval Academy firsty Molly Swiger. Uh, Molly is a 2017 graduate of Chattahoochee High School in Georgia. She earned three varsity letters as a goalkeeper um, and was recognized uh, after her senior season with a slew of honors, uh, including being her team's defensive MVP, uh, served primarily as the backup goalie for Karen Gabera's women's soccer team. And as a former Naval Academy women's soccer team, ORIP myself, I'm always partial to hearing from the women's soccer team. So Molly Swiger, first of all, how was your holiday season and new year and how are you doing? Hi, thank you so much for having me. It was really nice getting a break at home, uh, being able to catch up with family and just get some good time off the yard. Nice. So um, first of all, you had a very abridged fall season. What have you heard in terms of what your, of what your spring season will look like? Um, what, are you, what are you hoping to accomplish as a team that, that is coming back very talented, having won the Patriot League last year? So obviously uh, the fall season, we had three games and uh, 
training the whole fall, three games was definitely not enough for us. So uh, having a confirmed spring season so far, all uh, six Patriot League games, we're really looking forward to the opportunity to get out there. Um, winning the Patriot League once is not enough for us. So we're hoping to um, <clears throat> be able to continue that uh, good progress going forward, carrying over what we got from the fall and taking that into being a very dominant Patriot League team. Nice. Uh, Bill Wagner, go ahead. Well, you all suffered some heavy losses. Some outstanding players graduated from that Patriot League championship team. I mean, on surface, would say it's a rebuilding year. I'm going to guess you don't look at it that way. No, I mean, we lost a lot of talent, um, starting center back, starting goalkeeper. But uh, the opportunity of the fall was pretty unique because we were able to practice um, from August all the way up to the end of October, which was um, not the same for all of the Patriot League teams. So we got a big crop of freshmen who came in ready to get after it. And we really took a lot of the principles that we used um, coming off the Patriot League championship to continue into an intense training environment every day and really using the time that we had um, to be able to come back and be a powerful team this, this spring. Navy is uh, fortunate to have a, a, what I consider a true legend coaching women's soccer. I mean, Karen Gabera has done it all. And uh, I don't know if people have taken notice, but what she's accomplished here at Navy is just tremendous. In fact, I told her uh, I was over at the uh, the Warner soccer facility, and, and I think there needs to be some sort of recognition of Karen in that Warner soccer facility, which if you're ever in the lobby there, it's a little museum of sorts to Navy soccer, men's and women's. And I think... Uh, Something needs to be done to recognize Karen Gabera. I know she would never want that and because she's still active, but can you just talk about what it's like to play for someone like Karen Gabera? She is a, an incredible coach, and she's also one of the most humble people that you'll ever meet. I mean, you say she would never want anything to recognize her, and you're exactly right. She is just so gracious and extremely humble in all that she's achieved in her career. And every day interacting with her, you know, you kind of, not that you get numb to the fact that you're playing with, an Olympian at all, or you're playing in the presence of an Olympian, but just the way that she's able to pass down all of her knowledge to all of the girls and we're able to watch, you know, and learn from her work ethic and everything that she's achieved in her career. She's really an amazing role model for all of us. How, how are you looking in terms of uh, the brigade life? What are your thoughts about how you're going to survive, if not thrive in that environment? Yeah, so returning after break is always difficult. You enter into the dark ages, but the really unique part about this, at least for the women's soccer team and for all the athletes, is that we do get the opportunity to have a competitive season in the spring, which I've never gotten to experience before. So I think having that time with my teammates and having games to look forward to and having you know practice to go to every day is really going to help fight that the dark ages feeling. And for returning to soccer, we obviously have the return to play protocols coming off of COVID and quarantine and whatnot, but um, we're really going to get back after it pretty quickly. So it should be a good, fun um, way to get combat the, the dark ages traditionally. So Molly, one of the significant things you're working on, um, your senior capstone project. So if you can explain a little bit what your, what your major is, and then a brief description of, of what your capstone project is and why you think it's important beyond the walls of the Naval Academy. Yes. So I'm a cyber operations major and our capstone is our senior project. Uh, every senior has to complete one at the Naval Academy. And mine is evaluation of the newly released cybersecurity maturity model certification process. Uh, previously, the National Institute of Science and Technology 
have established a cybersecurity framework evaluation process, which a lot of companies in the defense industrial base and the Department of Defense in a broader sense would use to evaluate their company's cybersecurity posture, um, how vulnerable they were to an attack in cyberspace. But the framework was very broad and it's not it doesn't transfer very easily to a bunch of different sectors as well as we would like. And the, the language is not particular enough. So I believe that's why they started implementing the cybersecurity maturity model certification process in January of uh, 2020. And so what my partner and I are trying to do is identify what standards and best practices are not included in the maturity model certification process and where can it be improved upon. And I think this is uh, very important right now because uh, as you can see with the solar winds breach that has been all over the news recently, just good cyber hygiene practices are no longer enough for us. So we need to determine um, and quickly where the holes are in our defense industrial base and the, the larger DOD and how can we patch those and how can we um, continue to evaluate companies for what their cybersecurity posture is and how they can be improved. Well, I'll tell you, Molly, it, it warmed my heart again, not only as a former women's soccer O-Rep, but on behalf of Sing Second Sports, you know, in my other life as, as a PR person dialing into a, a Naval Academy webinar about the solar winds breach, and here's former deputy director of the NSA, Chris Inglis, uh, briefing, uh, Paul Tortora, the head of the cyber program briefing, but there, there's midshipman Molly Swiger briefing, you know, an entire webinar on your capstone project. And for me, I, I think it really speaks to what the physical mission does to augment and contribute to the academic mission and the moral mission as well. You know, so for you, embarking on something that's this important, and for people who don't think it's important, you mentioned the word solar winds. I, I don't necessarily know if the full gravity of that hack has hit people because we're talking about election madness and everything else going on in the world. But you know, for you, what, how have you benefited academically, obviously tackling a capstone project that's really, really significant and, and impressive? How have you drawn upon the lessons you've learned on the pitch? How have you drawn upon the lessons you've learned through the physical mission at the Naval Academy to help you take those next steps morally and mentally? Plebe year, you know, everyone is thrust into this whirlwind of learning what it's like to be in the military and how can you then balance your military um, uh, requirements with your schoolwork. And then on top of that, being a, a varsity athlete, you learn a lot about, um, you know, uh, allocating your time and uh, prioritizing what's important to you and how are you going to be able to be successful, <clears throat> excuse me, moving forward with so many demands on your plate. So soccer has been instrumental in uh, me learning how to balance a billion different things going on and still being able to have to allocate time towards, you know, academics and soccer not equally, obviously, because school has to come first, but being able to then perform um, well enough on the soccer field. So over the past couple of years, I've learned a lot about time management skills, obviously. And then you learn, um, you know, from the example that you're upperclassmen on the team set, you know, being a soccer, being a soccer player is not all that's being asked of you at the academy. So you have to put yourself out there academically and really strive to become proficient in not only the soccer field, but you want to make your impact as a midshipman more than just on the pitch. Well, I know that um, you know we're we're trying to get you uh, with a couple of small companies here locally to to help them you know continue to get the word out about CMMC. I, I applaud you on on tackling such a such an impressive 
uh, task. We wish you good luck with the capstone. And uh, we really appreciate the, the impact you're having beyond the walls of the Naval Academy. Of course. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Hey, everyone, that was Molly Swagger of the Navy women's soccer team. We wish her good luck um, as the new spring season comes upon them. Hopefully they get a full season in uh, and they can show uh, the talent that they have out there on the pitch for Karen Gabera. Um, we are going to go to break. When we come back, we'll take it out. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back as we wrap up this edition of Sing Second Sports. Uh, this is kind of exciting for me. I, I don't normally get to uh, get to drive, uh, filling in for John, who is out this week. Three pretty cool interviews. Uh, Jesse Awuji, pretty well known in alumni circles, um, starting to be better known in uh, stock car circles. So that was a little bit of a fanboy moment for me. Um, I, I've tracked Jesse's. Um, progress. Um, and, you know, as he continues to become more of a, a fixture in the truck series and in the Saturday race, uh, you pair that with his just personality, his entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, he is such a great ambassador for the Academy, for Navy football. Um, and I think for the veteran outreach that uh, the NASCAR series is, uh, is trying to do. Um, then a great interview with uh, Caroline Kwan uh, of the women's lacrosse team. Um, we wanted to make sure we covered down on that holiday giving tree effort by her and six company. I mean, there's so many great things that happen with the midshipmen and with people like Caroline. Um, we want to highlight not just their athletic ability, but the leadership effort that they put off the court as well. And then finally, Molly Swagger, um, the backup goalie on the women's soccer team. Molly came to John and I's attention through another project that we do. And she was just so impressive as she was talking about cybersecurity and about the new program that the Pentagon is implementing. We wanted to make sure that we highlighted that as well. Uh, Ward Wags, what stood out from those interviews with you guys? I mean, other than just the high quality that we have in midshipmen and graduates. Yeah, that's that's it on the mid side. Um, just high quality folks. Uh, I've known, as I mentioned during the interview, Jesse, since 2015. Super proud of his rise through the ranks of NASCAR. Um, he's only one level from the highest levels, and, and I'm convinced that he'll be on, uh, you know, Daytona and Talladega and the the biggest tracks in the near future. And that would be amazing to have a Naval Academy graduate in, in, in those environments. Plus, as you heard, he's just such a great American. He is an entrepreneur. The way he comes at a problem, the way he has such poise, he's, as you've said, he's an amazing spokesman for uh, the Naval Academy and uh, sort of continuum of citizenship in accordance with, with the mission. So, uh, you know, very impressed with him and, and he he showed it in spades during the conversation we had with him today. And I'll chime in about Carolyn Kwan and her leading the giving tree project. I mean, uh, we talk about the physical mission. That's what this podcast is all about. But in conjunction with that, 
I think something that probably maybe the citizens of Annapolis and Anne County do not realize or recognize as often as, as they should is how much community service and outreach members of the Brigade of Midshipmen perform. I mean, these, by and large, these folks are from uh, other states elsewhere. Uh, now, Carolyn happens to be from Cockeysville. She's local, but uh, most of her teammates are not local, and they were very much a part of this Giving Tree project they assisted. But I mean, the, the members of the Brigade of Midshipmen are in, tremendous in our community, doing so many uh, charitable efforts, uh, and the athletes are right at the top of the list, constantly hearing about Navy football players doing free clinics for youth, you know, youth football and whatnot. So uh, just hats off to uh, all the mids who do so much. I mean, it's as though, you know, academic and military responsibilities and those that are athletes, the athletic side as well isn't enough. They get out there in the community and do good things. So bravo. Yeah, these are the interviews that uh, really make uh, they really make me excited to be a part of this podcast, and they make me excited to be a graduate and a retiree um, because I just feel so good about the kind of the next generation of uh, ambassadors for the academy and that next generation of naval officers that'll enter the fleet here uh, in, in the next couple of years. Let's transition uh, before we take this out. Uh, Wags, what are you watching for this week um, as you look ahead to uh, to next week's basketball games? Well, first and foremost, <laughs> and word is going to be right there with me, I think I'm going to do a feature on Patrick Dorsey this week uh, because <laughs> I think, Ward, you mentioned that um, Strasser, somebody said he wasn't even recruited. I think he – Maybe a walk-on. Right. I'm going to have to delve into that a little yes. bit further. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that Patrick Dorsey did not contribute much last season as a plea, but I think he was on the junior varsity. And, uh, you know, the kid's just fantastic. He's a stat stuffer. He does it all. So I'm going to do a feature on Dorsey and uh, as a preview to the Loyola weekend games. And I'm also uh, going to work on a story about Peter Nestrowitz the Navy football offensive lineman, you know, we talked about Miles Fells and Cameron Kinley declaring for the NFL draft, and we don't need to go rehash that. But Peter Nestoritz actually is on the radar of the NFL scouts, um, and he uh, is playing in two postseason all-star games. That's a uh, immediate giveaway that you are on the radar of NFL scouts because the scouts are the ones that make recommendations to these all-star games as to who they would like to see. Um, and really the work gets done in practice. The scouts go to these practices prior to these senior all-star games and do a lot of evaluation. But Nestor played in the Tropical Bowl down in Florida, and then he's going to play in the Hula Bowl out in Hawaii. And every NFL team sends scouts to these all-star games. So a pretty big deal for Peter Nestor. So I'll be writing about that this week, Chris. Hey, real quick, before uh, we, uh, we do wrap up, I, we're start, it's starting to get, uh, people are starting to think a little bit more about lacrosse. And so we, uh, we interviewed Joe Amplo. He'll be our guest next week. Um, I saw some pictures of uh, the men's lacrosse team uh, uh, on Rip Miller Field practicing, uh, you know, nothing like playing lacrosse in January uh, with uh, that wind blowing off the Severn. 
But I also saw that Navy graduate J.L. Repper is heading to Holy Cross. Uh, Bill, you wrote a story on that. J.L. was uh, quite a standout and was a standout as an assistant at Maryland. Uh, do you want to just give us a quick uh, update on uh, J.L. and how that all came about? Yeah, well, it's actually rather interesting because Holy Cross fired its coach on January 9th. Uh, when I saw that announcement, my immediate thought was, wait a second, Holy Cross had an opening for their men's lacrosse head coaching position, and they're just now getting around to filling it when the season started. We're, we're underway. Um, but then I found out what happened. Uh, you know, I, I, Holy Cross has not disclosed the reasons, so I won't get into it. I've heard what happened, but let's just say there was some, uh, some issues and the coach uh, was fired abruptly on January 9th. So Holy Cross had to hurry up and scramble to find a head coach to lead the team this season. And they found a good one in JL Reppard. I mean, as you mentioned, he's an Academy grad. He was a four-year starter on the lacrosse team when he was at Navy. Um, you know, really talented guy. He's local. He's from uh, uh, Lutherville, Maryland. And he went to uh, Loyola Blakefield up in Towson area. And then he returned to Navy as an assistant coach. He was a, an assistant briefly under Rick soul. Um, but he's a, he's a good young coach. When Rick soul was fired and the Navy had an opening and they're looking for a new lacrosse coach, JL Reppert was very much in the mix. And, um, you know, he didn't get the job, but he, he interviewed. Uh, so it was, he was bound to get a head coaching job soon. I mean, offensive coordinator at Maryland under John Tillman and did a tremendous job. He was part of a lot of success final four teams in the national championship. So uh, congratulations to JL. Yeah. Hell of a guy. He's a classmate of mine. Um, and I was a big lacrosse fan when I was in school and really enjoyed watching him and Kevin Meehan and, and other guys uh, and, and was really happy when he went to Maryland. Uh, I wish Joe Amplo all the success in the world, um, but would love to see JL back at Navy uh, at, at some point. Um, you, you know, it would be a, a great, uh, ending to a pretty cool lacrosse story arc. Uh, Ward, how about you? What are you watching this week or, uh, you know, what, what's on your radar? i uh, just looking forward to the games this weekend uh, and, and sitting next to my man, Bill Wagner. Check us out on our various mediums and uh, look forward to covering the angles between the reportage in our unique way. So it's uh, we're having a lot of fun with that. Yeah, yes, we are. All right, folks. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Ward. Uh, John will be back next week. And as I mentioned, we'll have that interview with uh, Joe Amplo, the Navy men's lacrosse coach. I want to thank our sponsors, Mills, Fine Wine and Spirits, and Academy Consulting. Both Jerry and Nate have been very supportive of our efforts here at Sing Second Sports. If you have the opportunity to return the favor, please do so. For John, Ward, and Bill Wagner, this is Chris Cervello. We'll see you next week. This is Sing Second Sports. As John says, we are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play -play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of the podcast segments. 